We try to work for four hours a day. Sounds terrible for a lot of people. They're like, that sucks. You probably could have built a way bigger business if you worked more. But go ahead and do like your research and your reading, and you're going to find out that most people are pretty ineffective after they've really grinded it out for four hours. Yeah, thanks for being here. So I just want to get a little bit of the Dan Reed backstory, man. Whatever you want that to be, give us a little bit of backstory. Include a little bit of the the uh, personal backstory, but then just kind of the the rise of Dan Reed in the sales world, because I feel like that's an integral part of understanding the overall picture, especially including like your business picture. So, what do you got? Um, all right. Well, cut me off if I get winded or or anything like that. Um, but I'll keep it really brief uh, with background. So. Grew up on an island, the island of Ely, Nevada. If you don't know where that is, you should Google it. Um, I call it an island because it's it's like four or five hours away from anything. Um, it was a beautiful childhood, though. Ride your bike wherever you want. Small town, driven by the price of copper. Um, so I had a great upbringing. I uh, we moved to Southern Utah when I was in high school, and I met my wife there. Uh, we. Uh, both served missions for our church and then uh, got married. I got married pretty young. I was 21. She was almost 23 and uh, life came at us pretty quick. We uh, uh, were pregnant six months into our marriage and had a baby girl and it was absolutely not the plan. The The plan was she was, a, she was done with school. She was going to work. She was teaching high school and uh, she was going to work and put me through school. But things changed. I felt like I had to grow up pretty quick. Um, so baby girl came, we love her. She's 14 years old now and she's so awesome. She's like my favorite person. Um, but that made me step up. So went to school. Um, I started doing mortgages. I found that I kind of, there was this weird thing happening where these people I was going to school with, I was actually, uh, went through, got an accounting degree and then got my my master's in business, my MBA. And when I was in my MBA program, and even when I was in my undergrad, I was watching these other peers get to school early, study, stay at school late, spend time in the library, and do all the stuff, all the motion. And I watched them um, just burn hours. And it actually, it was something I kind of learned as I went, but I thought, all right, I'm, I bought a house. I've got a mortgage to pay. I didn't want to be renting or living with my in-laws when we had a baby. So I bought a house that I probably couldn't really afford, but I mean, the, the mortgage was a thousand bucks a month. <laughs> and I was like, we got to make this happen. So I actually started doing uh, originating mortgages and found that, Hey, I can be really efficient with this. I can work wherever I have my computer or my phone with me. I can uh, help people borrow money and I can make you know, four or five thousand dollars a month, which for me in college was a ton of money. And what yeah, I was able to. So this would have been 2008, um, 2008, 2009, 2007. Um, graduated my undergrad in 09 and then my MBA in 2010 or 11. So you started doing mortgages like post crash? Uh, right when, right before the crash, actually, which is funny. So I started in 0. Oh, like late 2006. And uh, I remember getting these emails that were like from my uncle who I always thought was a conspiracy theorist, but he's kind of been right about a lot of stuff. <laughs> and he just said, Hey man, the mortgage industry is going to melt down. You need to figure things out. And I'm like, this is weird. And then it did, but we rode through it and it still worked. People still needed to refinance and still needed to buy homes and stuff. And so as a college kid, I was able to go um, kind of employ the 80, 20 rule and realized I can spend 20% of the time that these kids do in the library and still get 80% of the grade. Right. And I was like, if I can cruise with a B plus and a minus, I don't need to go ace everything and spend six hours, seven hours a day in the library. I can go make a living for my family and actually be with my family. Anyway, um, probably, probably a lot of detail there, but it was a cool lesson for me where I learned, Hey, you can be really efficient and people spend a lot of time doing the wrong stuff. Um, with their time or overdoing stuff that maybe is the right stuff, but they spend uh, way too much time on it. They don't really practice that Pareto principle. Um, so went from there, uh, 
told myself I would never, ever go do summer sales because I knew some kids that had done it. And I felt like, uh, I don't want to associate with these guys <laughs> and, uh, met somebody who's become a champion for me and a, a mentor that I'm still very, very close to. And I love very much. And, uh, he talked me into it right after I graduated with my undergrad. And so I went out and, and sold door to door. Um, after I graduated with an accounting degree, and I was positive that I was going to go be a CPA and, um, you know, open my own firm one day and do that type of thing or go work for one of the big five or the big four, whatever it was at that time. Went out and sold, uh, made $100,000 in four months and thought, I actually think I'm a salesperson. And I really liked it, enjoyed it, enjoyed the culture. Um, did that for a few years. And then um, the opportunity with solar came around. It was really, really new. So this is uh, kind of summer of 2011, where a few people decided, hey, I think that solar energy can become mainstream enough that we could sell this door to door. And so I got home from my summer season and my wife had had our third kid um, in the summer of 2011. Came home, I was with her for a couple of weeks and then I said, I'm going to go figure this out. We had a little... Um, home base in New Jersey where some some guys were figuring out how to sell solar and went and did it and uh, sold two solar accounts my first day out there. They got installed and I thought, this is awesome. This is the future. Caught wind that Hawaii was going to be an initial market because power prices were high there and put my name on it. Um, had one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. Um, you know, when you're pondering like, hey, where you want to go and what you want to do, Sometimes my feelings are pretty neutral and I'll pray for, you know, to be inspired or to have a confirmation of, of what needs to be done. In this specific situation, um, we owned a small house in Northern Utah. Things were good. We have three kids and, you know, I've got my degree. I can go work a normal job. And I just had this overwhelming, peaceful confirmation that said, just go to Hawaii, like just do it. And so it probably looked really thoughtless to people around me. I remember my father-in-law actually coming over and standing with me in my driveway and just being like, so what are you doing? Like, do you have a job there? Do you have a place to live and all this? And I never once had any doubt. I just had all this peace that said, just go, just go stick your flag in the ground, mark your territory, make it work. So we, we sold our cars, we sold our house, we put um, a couple of things in a storage unit and then we packed up. 20 suitcases <laughs> with our three kids, three car seats, a couple strollers. And uh, I mean, we were an absolute yard sale going through the airport. But I remember my parents and my wife's parents kind of dropping us off at the airport and just looking at me like, what are you doing? We got there. Um, there was no equipment. There was no warehouse. There was no established anything. Got to a hotel, went out and bought a box truck so that we could go haul solar panels around, bought some solar panels from uh, you know, who would become a competitor that had some stuff that we could buy. And then just started knocking doors with an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper with a contract on it. And, uh, uh, got there in February of 2012, got there on Valentine's day. And then by the end of that year, we, we had installed solar on over a thousand rooftops and, uh, figured out how to make it work. So that took us out there. We, uh, spent a few years there on the Island, spent, um, about a year in Southern California and then, uh, moved on. So there's some history for you, maybe a little too much detail, but learned some really cool stuff, some fun lessons. Oh, that's great. It's perfect, man. You are at six children. <laughs> Five. Five. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is sixth on the way? Uh, no, we're done, man. No. It's over. We're done. All right. Yeah. So it's actually, it's actually really tough for my wife to have kids. And so the doctors told her to stop at three and she just kept going like, Hey, there's more, but total hell that she has to go through. So five, that was it. Yeah. Super I happy. Remember, you got a I remember hearing a bit about that. Yeah. So we're tied, man. We're tied. Not that it's a race. But, I know. Uh, Congrats to you. That's couple awesome. Of five spots. That's pretty great. Yeah. Um, well, so one question I'd like to ask is uh, the process that you went through deciding to leave solar as I guess you could say your main focus and jump into something that was 
completely new territory for you, right? Yeah. Um, decide where to start that off. So, uh, I love sales. Love it. Um, I still find myself selling all the time, you know, and, and just learning how to interact with people and ask the right questions and make things become their idea and, and, uh, you know, help them grow a deep confirmation of something that they should buy. It's so fun. Um, and you have a ton of power in your hands when you're good at sales. Um, you don't have to be manipulative. You don't have to be dishonest. You can be a straightforward person and be really, really good at sales and, and create a lot of action in the world. Um, I decided at some point that I wanted to, to get off of the doors. So door-to-door sales is amazing. And I actually miss it in some ways. It is just so fun. It's fun to wake up in the morning and say, Hey, today I'm going to go write myself a $10,000 check. And there's these doors out there and you go knock them and you make it happen. And there's, I don't know another industry where you can do that quite the same way you can in, in door-to-door sales. It's awesome. It's just hunter gatherer, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point I got this, this, uh, this urge to move myself off of the doors and into more of like a leadership corporate role. And so I was offered a VP of sales position and that moved us from Hawaii to California. And um, there were things that I loved about it, but there was also some youth in the company and some immaturity with like the development of our hierarchy that made it really tough. So for example, I had uh, about 60 managers that reported to me and each one of those managers had uh, you know, 15 to 25 people that reported to them. And so it was overwhelming. I spent um, in 2014, I spent, I think like 240 nights in hotels um, away from the family. And uh, I mean, it was just constant, you know, there wasn't like a relaxed Sunday afternoon. It was text messages and phone calls and fires to put out. And so I it kind of started that fire inside of me that said, Hey, um, I loved being on the doors. I loved managing 15 to 25 people myself and having this like intimate group that, that we could go really dominate together. And I moved away from that thinking that it was the right thing for me in my career. And I'm grateful for the path and you have to make the best decisions that you can make. But what I found is that that's not my cup of tea. I don't actually love having 60 reports. Some people are built for that. And so, you know, I'm not saying that this is the right thing for everybody. Some people are built to be the CEO of a fortune 500 company, you know, and have hundreds of reports and thousands of employees and things like that. I thought that was me. I learned pretty quickly. It wasn't because I was down. I kind of went into a dark spot where, um, it wasn't bringing me joy. So that sparked something. I ended up, uh, we moved back to Utah where the corporate headquarters was for the company I was working for. I was in a corporate position. I was making great money, but again, um, I started seeing that same thing that I saw in college. I saw uh, people spending time behind their glass wall in their office doing stuff that wasn't effective. And I had HR watching me come in, be efficient, get work done, bounce to my kid's soccer game. And all of a sudden I'm getting complaints from, from the person that I report to, um, the chief revenue officer who's saying, Hey, HR knows what you get paid they see that you're bouncing from your office sometimes like you need to be here. And all of a sudden my brain exploded and I was like, (laughs) I hate this. I'm like, I come in, I can get done. What takes this person nine hours because they're on Facebook. They're taking a coffee break. They're taking a smoke break. They're getting snacks out of their drawer. They're microwaving something. They're talking to somebody else. They're texting their wife. They're doing whatever they're searching for another job because they're unhappy. Those are the things people do at work. And I can come in and focus 100% my phone off, no social, no email, no anything and get stuff done in three hours. Um, and you're actually looked down on for that in the corporate world. You're looked down on. It's like, uh, Hey, being efficient is not, um, a thing. What we need is just to see you at your desk behind your computer so that we know that you're earning the money we're paying you. It's super backward, right? I think some companies are getting better. Uh, I think a lot of companies are learning that, you know, having people work from home now, it's way more task oriented. I think COVID has actually been probably pretty good. Um, a lot more task oriented than hour oriented because nobody's looking in your living room window to see if you're working, right? You just have to get stuff done, which to me is what it's all about. I remember the the CEO said, 
and it'll always stick with me. He just said, Hey, nobody goes home until I go home. So I literally remember sitting in my office at eight 30 at night and looking around and other people are looking through their glass walls, looking at me like, Holy smokes. And then finally the CEO gets up, puts his jacket on, walks out, goes down to the parking garage. Everyone's watching out the window. He drives away, lights go off, everyone's leaving and going home. And I was like, wow. this is nuts. So these kind of things kind of drove me to where I said, I've got to um, do something else. I had this, um, this big moment of like introspection where I said, you know, ask myself some real questions like, Hey, what am I really good at? What brings me joy? And more than anything, what's the lifestyle that I want? And I want to build my career and my living around that lifestyle. Um, most people that that we know and associate with build a lifestyle around this career. And so the career moves them from state to state or moves them from place to place or determines their hours and what they're able to do. And then they kind of construct a lifestyle around that. And that can work. It's not, it's not evil. It's not wrong. For me, I said, um, I've worked hard for, you know, doing door-to-door -door sales for 10 years. I've got money in the bank. How do I now go create this lifestyle and build my career around that? So that's what drove me to move into something that I really had no business at all doing um, and out of sales, direct sales. Yeah. So, so, so that can be the bridge to talking about the next big chapter, Zeal. Yeah. The Zeal a chapter. I mean, yeah, I think it's a chapter. It's a good chapter. Uh, yeah, it's a good chapter. So, um, we, we caught up, I don't know, a couple months ago and I got to kind of hear some of the latest of what had happened there. Um, but one of the things that I remember from that conversation is something that you actually just said, which is getting into a business that you had no business being in. And you, you repeated that same general sentiment about even growing the business. So why don't you just tell those that don't know, what business did you get into? And what do you mean when you say uh, that you didn't have business being into? Yeah. Um, so I think what I'm saying when I say that is I had no background in that. I had no real education in it. Um, it wasn't like uh, in my wheelhouse per se. Um, we get this perception that like, hey, I went to school in accounting. I'm an accountant. That's my skill set. I need to figure out how to maximize that skill set until the day I retire. Where when you went to college, you really had no business being in college, right? When you became a parent, you really had no business becoming a parent. And I think sometimes we over-prepare ourselves or over-analyze um, the next step or the next thing. I have friends that are saying, hey, uh, we're preparing to have kids in the next few years. What should we do? And I'm like, just have a kid because you can't prepare. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. it's going to come at you fast. There's going to be stuff that's hard. Like, be a good person and prepare what you can, but just, you just got to go, right? You got to step in. And so, at some point in life, I don't know what it is where we become a little more risk averse. We decide that there's things that are always going to be outside of our wheelhouse that we should never do. So, I think that's what I mean um, because it was e commerce and it was health supplements. And, uh, I had no background in either of those things. Um, but I, but when I did that introspection and said, Hey, what's the lifestyle that I want um, that fit into something that I could build around that lifestyle. And, you know, some of the things that I wanted was I want to have the maximum amount of time with my wife and kids. That's super important. I also want to have uh, time and ability to take care of myself. Right. Um, I want to be physically and spiritually and emotionally completely healthy and stable because that's my best self. Because if I'm not that, I can't actually enjoy that time with my wife and my kids, right? And if I can't do that, then I can't even enjoy my career and be successful in my career. So we can talk more about that if you want to. But um, the way it came together is I... Um, was traveling in this corporate position and I talked to a buddy who had previously worked for me and he said, Hey, uh, he's like, I started selling soap on Amazon and I'm making uh, like $400 a day selling soap. And I was like, this is crazy. This is 2000 and this is probably 2015 when I had this, this was, it was 2015 when I had this conversation with him and I being kind of cocky and 
whatever else. I looked at him and I was like, I know what kind of sales guy you were. You were pretty good. But I'm like, if you can make $400 a day selling soap, I can make $4,000 a day. Like, tell me what you're doing. Right. So it just like, it like hit a spark. And I got the name of the guy that he took uh, a course from. So you paid 5,000 bucks, took an online course from this e-commerce expert. Um, and he gave me a link to the course and I bought it the same day that we talked. I'm like, all right, here we go. And when you do that, when you make an investment, it really helps you like put a foot forward and getting into a business you have no business in. That's a good way to do it, right? That's the way people get into college and even into marriage. There's investments there. And sometimes you take action where you put your money. So bought this course. And uh, what I started doing is well, I would travel, I would meet with teams, I would train and I would direct. And then I'd get back to my hotel at eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night. And I would study e-commerce. Because um, you're, still, you're still in the solar management world as yep. this is happening. Yeah. 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 So for me, it was like, uh, I, I had like a transition period here where I could do both. Um, one of the big things I did is I actually made a choice. I said, when I first bought the course, I said, I don't actually have time to do this. What am I thinking? And then I got real with myself because I've always, when somebody says, I don't have time, that's always bothered me. <laughs> and I said, why am I telling myself that I don't have time? You can't do that. And I said, where am I using time that I can, um, use for something else. And it was with social media. So I deleted, um, all social and I deleted it for a year, uh, maybe a little longer, maybe it was a year and a half. And, uh, I'll tell you right now, I missed out on nothing. Um, and I took that time, you know, look at your iPhone and see how much time you're spending on Instagram. It'll probably blow your mind, but I took that time. So let's say it's an hour a day and allocated that to this, new venture. Right. So, um, really got into the courses through, you know, late 2015 and 17, I said this, I'm going to do this. Uh, so still in, in solar, still in management, um, doing my best, uh, in that job and then using this extra time that I created to go study e-commerce. So what happened is I ended up, um, finding somebody else, which is another important thing um, you can do. I found somebody who had had success in selling product on Amazon. Um, he had his own brand and, uh, he was, a brother of somebody who had worked for me previously. Um, I reached out to him and just said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. I still have a full-time job. I can't do it all. Can I hire you as a consultant? Hired him. He was happy to do it. And, um, we took this approach to the market that, um, I'll be forever grateful for. It was his idea. And we ended up researching two or 300 products and he came back to me and said, Hey, I think we should sell supplements. And I was like, okay. And we, we went through and I looked at all of his research and it was really impressive. And, and I said, let's do it. So I started sourcing our initial supplement was an apple cider vinegar capsule, um, which in 2017 was like this big upward trend. People were taking shots of apple cider vinegar. And now that you could take it in a capsule in a pulverized form, it was a lot more convenient. So this is trending upward. He's like, this is a good market. Let's get into it. I started sourcing, figuring it out. And now I'm like, man, I'm actually like kind of slacking at my full-time job. I need more help. So I went back to somebody who I'd grown, grown really close to working with before. I had no idea if he was going to be any good at this. His name's Cade. He's still my business partner today and I love him dearly. Um, like two of the best decisions I've ever made in my life were choosing my wife who has absolutely supported me through all my crazy entrepreneurship and everything else. I've never had a W2 since we've been married, um, except for little short stints. And she's cool with that. I'm a commission guy and an entrepreneur. That was my best decision I made. And then my second best decision was choosing uh, my business partner, Kate. So I actually reached out to him. We'd worked together previously. And I just said, Hey, I'm going to do this e-commerce, this Amazon business. Uh, would you be interested in matching the money that I've put in and running operations, supply chain, um, manufacturing relationships, uh, that type of thing, right? Um, communicating with our 3PL. I'm like, do you know anything about that? He's like, no, but I'm in. He's like, I'll do it. And he ponied up the money that week and he dug in. And the one thing that I knew about him that uh, I knew was important is that I trusted him. Um, and I figured out that if we have really, really high trust, 
everything else can fall into place. You can learn skills, but learning trust is pretty tough. And so getting into business with people who you don't know if you trust them is, is kind of a scary route. So that was the foundation of the whole thing. And turns out he's absolutely phenomenal at um, all of those things, which I'm not. Um, and it works out really well. Anyway, details. Uh, did that. We launched our first product in 2018. Um, that product uh, did over a million bucks all by itself before the end of that year. So from May to um, end of December, it did over a million bucks. And so then in in December of 2018, I quit my job uh, or January of 2019. I don't remember somewhere around there and said, Hey, if we could do that with one product, let's go. So we ended up uh, in 2019 launching about 20 more products and 2020, um, another handful. And then in uh, early 2021, uh, there was a big appetite for e-commerce businesses in like the um, uh, private equity world. And so we had multiple groups reach out to us to buy our company and we entertained some and then ended up uh, wrapping up a deal. Um, in the spring of 21. So we, we initiated the business in 2017, launched products in 2018, and then wrapped it up and sold the whole thing in 2021. And it's definitely a chapter, a happy, awesome chapter um, that turned out really good for us. Had a great exit. So was it 2015 when you bought that course on e-commerce? Yeah. Okay. So 2015 from that, that was like the absolute precipice of intrigue. Like the idea, right? The conversation you had with your buddy selling soap. And then 2021, actually selling a company and having a big exit. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. It was awesome. I'm super grateful. So, so just to add to that, one, one thing that I remember partic- like from our conversation earlier was that you would outsource certain aspects of the business, you and Cade, once your partners, you guys would go, I don't know if you'd use the word outsource or hire firms to do certain things. And then you would go check in on what they were doing. And you would just say, no, why are you doing that? Don't do that. you know. And they would say, well, I don't know, fill in my sentence here. I remember you had a great point about that. Like They had all these technical reasons for doing certain things and you were saying, push the gas pedal, just go, go, go. Yeah. Um, I think that one thing that Kate and I both have in common and that we're really, really passionate about is efficiency. And again, it comes back to people spending time doing stuff. So we set some, some like business principles that are religion to us early on as business which I think was really unique. Like we actually had an opportunity to, we launched a product that started making money. And I said, Hey, this is going to be real. Let's establish some stuff. And so we established a couple of things. We decided we will not put in hours when we're not being effective. Um, in other words, and like in more specific terms, we try to work um, for four hours a day. Sounds terrible for a lot of people. They're like, that sucks. You probably could have built a way bigger business if you worked more, but go ahead and do like your research and your reading. And you're going to find out that most people are pretty ineffective after they've really grinded it out for four hours. Um, And so some days it's five and some days it's 10 and some days it's 15 hours. It depends on what's happening. But most of the time that's kind of our minimum basis is, Hey, we get together, we crank out our work. We're four hours in can get home. My kids get home from school. And again, I built this career around my lifestyle. Right. Um, I truly believe that we can get we get more done as a partnership where each of us put in 20 hours a week than a company with 15 or 20 employees that all try and put in eight hours a day, right? And 40 hours a week. Because um, again, it's about being efficient and it's about looking at what your priorities actually are and knocking those things out. Um, you can spend a lot of time on the wrong stuff again. And so uh, that's one thing we do. So early in the week, we get together and we say, all right, what are the... What are the big things we want to knock off? What are we going to be happy about if it gets done? And then we knock those things off the list really, really fast um, and move on. So that was one thing. So we also set these ground rules where we said, uh, we don't want to get mixed up in 
things that are not our ultimate strength, right? So Kate is incredibly organized and meticulous and detail-oriented, and he's also conservative. He keeps us from getting sued, and he makes good decisions. Um, I'm a little more head in the clouds, um, visionary, pushing new ideas, and uh, I run the marketing side and and some of those things. Um, and we overlap a lot, right? We help each other on both sides. Um, uh, but because we know what our ultimate strengths are, we decided we're going to outsource everything else. Neither of us are designers. Why would we mess around with design? So we have a designer in South America that we hired initially to do all of our stuff. And it worked out awesome. But we live in a world right now too, where, where you can do that. You can go use Fiverr. You can use we, uh, some of the other ones. I can't remember what they're called. Upwork. Go, Upwork that's it. I was going to say we work. It's the wrong one. Upwork. And and you go find people who have good skill sets. And if they don't have good skill sets, you let them go. And they're on a 1099 contract basis. You know. So we, we outsource design. We outsource email marketing. We outsource Facebook marketing. We even outsource um, on Amazon marketing um, to a group. Um, we outsource our manufacturing. So we decided, hey, we're never going to go make a big investment, at least in this initial business early on. Maybe one day it'll make sense. We're not going to go make a big investment into manufacturing. That's not our skill set. Let's not do it yet. Maybe one day, right? Um, so we outsource that. We outsource fulfillment. We outsource, um, yeah, everything associated with fulfillment, packaging, etc. And so what happens is we live in this little office here and, uh, and everything happens over the computer. And we're working with people around the country and around the world that take care of skills that they're really, really specifically good at those skills and we're not. Um, so that was another thing that we set um, a ground rule on is, hey, we're going to work as long as we're effective and we're going to outsource everything that is in our ultimate strength. Um, and the world's beautiful. Like you can do that uh, with mm -hmm. any business that you're doing right now. Um, so I think in, in terms of what you were talking about, we would actually, we'd reach out and see inefficiencies. And, and I think we've helped some of these contractors where they'd say, hey, this is the process. This is what has to be done. And we would just say, well, why and why and why until we figured out a better process and got things done faster, more effectively without sacrificing any quality. So that's great. No, that's super gold. Uh, that truly can be applied, I think, to anybody's business, but even like an employee, like just the concept of focusing on what moves the needle and being relentless at saying no to what does not move the needle, um, I think is where a lot of your success has come. And I know that because virtually every time we talk, we land on in some way, the topic of essentialism, right? And you are the one uh, that I have to thank for initially turning me on to Greg McEwen's book, Essentialism. I remember that phone call we were on uh, where you just said, well, you know, like the book Essentialism. And I was like, nope. And you were like, <laughs> kind of stunned, like, oh, dude, no, this is not like one of those books people recommend and you say you'll add to your list and then you don't. This is like, you have to read this. And it's crazy. Those conversations can actually be pivotal. I mean, like essentialism is, it has made a significant difference in my life, you know? And there's, there's only really a handful of books in that section, that segment or whatever, um, development, personal development, business, you know, uh, time management that you could say that about. And I know we both have a great love for the principle of essentialism, which essentially is the disciplined pursuit of less. And uh, so that's exciting. Maybe one day we'll have a three, kind of a three-way conversation with, with Greg McEwen. Oh, that'd be boy. fun. I'm he's, grateful for him. I have to, yes. I have to give credit to um, that book. And what's funny is I've, I've, I have 10 hard copies of it in my office. I hand it out to anybody who I think um, it could help. Because for me, it just really struck a chord and honestly changed my life. And I think it probably did the same thing for you, which is cool. I've given it to you know dozens of people. And it's funny because some of the feedback is, hey, this is a game changer. Um, and then other feedback I get is, that was a good book. I liked it. I'm like, all right, you weren't ready for it yet. You know? yeah. Or you know, maybe, maybe you're beyond it. Maybe you know more than I do. Um, but there are things from that that stick with me. And I, I should give more credit to Greg McEwen for um, his line of thought with that book. Because that is one of the things that led me out of everything I was doing. If you remember right, I actually had a business opportunity with you that we were looking at. And I was busy in my VP position in that sales company. And I was, you know, 
doing all these things. And I had a couple other people kind of barking at me, knowing that I was getting into a transition period. And reading that book really helped me look at things and say, you know, some of the one-liners are like, hey, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I really can do any of this stuff, but I cannot do it all. And I had to just start cutting stuff. I had to call people on the phone and say, hey, I love you, but the answer is no. And, uh, you know, let's talk later. And that that helped me really build what I was able to build. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to do that same thing. You have to eliminate certain people. You have to eliminate distractions. And like for me, social media was one of those things at that time that um, I couldn't do that and everything else I was trying to do. So, yeah, I'm grateful for that. I I could talk essentialism for the next couple hours, you know? Yeah, for real. You really can get to a place where saying no is kind of a rush. Right. It's, oh yeah. It's like it's like let's see how far we can take this this concept. It's like that when you yeah. discover a true principle, right? There's like the two levels for me. I think of like there's the conceptual understand it. It's like kind of like having a hat on my head. It's like I know this, I get this, and then there's like the ingesting it and like actually just it going all the way in. Yeah. Um, and when you start saying no to good opportunities, that's the signal that you're actually getting somewhere with this. Because it's easy yeah. to say no to crappy opportunities or things that annoy you, things you wanted to say. Maybe, maybe it's just rising. Maybe some people get a little bit of uh, fuel from that book to say no to the things they already wanted to say no to, and they were already bothering them or just a distraction or an annoyance or whatever. You know, certain friendships, relationships, even or certain like activities that were just pulling them away. But when you start saying no to good opportunities, because you are so relentlessly focused on finding the best opportunity, that's when you're really getting somewhere with that. Yeah. And no, absolutely. That again, the world's amazing and there are so many good opportunities and you cannot do them all. Time is finite. You just can't. And so you have to be really intentional. If you're not intentional, you are getting yanked around by the world right now. hundred percent. Like everybody wants your time. If you wake up one day, you don't have a plan. You can step out your front door and I promise you somebody will figure out what to do with your time. Mm -hmm. That's, that's how it is. So if you haven't, if you haven't gotten intentional with what's important to you, what your best opportunities are, where you want to spend your time, um, then it's really easy to just say yes to everything. Cause, cause there's a lot of good. It's easy to say no to bad stuff. Like nobody needs help with that. Well, maybe somebody, we don't need help with that. So I agree with you. That's the buzz that you get is, uh, Hey, this is a really good opportunity. I've taken time to be intentional. This doesn't fit into my plan. You got to say no. That's it. No hard feelings. There's no offense. There's no like, you know, I'm not saying no because I'm a victim. It's just, you just can't. Yeah. I think people envy it too. When they hear it, when they witness someone saying no, if, if it's maybe even if you're the one telling them no to something, I think it resonates with people, especially high achiever, you know, busy types that like to spread themselves thin and say, I can do it all. There's a part of them that deep inside goes like, dang, that was, that's something I want to aspire to. They feel yeah. the truth of it. Yeah. So yeah. that message is one that, uh, yeah, we can continue to preach from the housetops and, and to totally. ourselves, right? I'm constantly having to revisit that and say, let me refresh my understanding of this concept of essentialism. I, uh, I just had an experience like, two weeks ago where, uh, so my whole family got COVID, which was kind of a bummer. And every, I don't even know. It's a oh. virus. No, I think I heard about it. Yeah. You've probably heard about it. So somebody listening to this podcast 45 years from now, it's a virus. Uh, so we got COVID, we were sick. Um, I mean, nothing scary or anything. Anyway, I every September for the last five years, I've done uh, this triathlon in, in California with a group of buddies. And it's one of my favorite things all year. It's, it's a tradition. Um, I had recovered from COVID. The triathlon was a week away. Kind of recovered. I don't know if you've had it or not, but it, uh, my energy was just super low. And I know that that's part of it. It just sucks the life out of you, right? So I'd get downstairs and do a Peloton ride or I'd try to go on a run and I was just like 50% of normal, but I was struggling. We had also just been on a couple other vacations and all this stuff was happening. And I had felt like deep down, I'm like, I really should not go do this triathlon. I'm going to be swimming in the ocean. 
I'm going to drown, <laughs> you know, this stuff. But I kept pushing through it. I'm like, dude, it's a tradition. Your buddies are there. There's social pressure. Like, you love it. It's fun. And the, some words came in my head from the book, which is, if it's not a clear yes, then it's a clear no. And all of a sudden, I had clarity and peace. And it was just like that. Texted everyone on the group and said, guys, I'm out. Um, just not happening this year. And then it was done. And all the chaos went away. And all the peace came rushing in. And it's amazing how much torture we put ourselves through when we um, deliberate over things that we know are not a clear yes. Um, and so, you know, like I know you read recently, you've been into Naval. Um, I just finished that almanac. So good. And, so good. and when he talks about happiness, it, it coincides with peace. And we actually strip ourselves of a ton of happiness because I think we deliberate over decisions and we choose to hold off on a no because it's going to hurt someone's feelings or it's going to make us look bad or whatever. Um, and then you delay that piece. As soon as you say, Hey, this is not a clear yes, it's a clear no. The answer is no. Yep. All that stuff goes away. Peace comes in and you can actually enjoy happiness in your life. You know, we do that all the time. So, and, and the truth is when it comes right down to it, nobody really cares what you do. So for you, like you just have to make those decisions. They get over it so quickly, so quickly. Yeah. It's it's history. You know, you're not going to that race. It's like there's probably some initial disappointment, but like times passed, times moved on. Everyone's great. Fine. I'm sure they all it's still fine. love you. Yeah, in my head, I'm like, I, I've done it every year. I can't break this tradition, and it's like, okay, I'll go next year. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Anyway, yeah, that's, that's cool. like a, it's so so trivial because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. It's so trivial, but yet it takes away our peace. You know even the little yeah. trivial things like that when we, when we deliberate over those decisions. Mm. Yeah. I love the, I love the definition of the happiness we seek as being really about peace. Cause there's a lot of variants like of happiness. Happiness can be a lot of things. Yeah. And peace really seems to be kind of the cardinal uh, pursuit there. So, um, well, this has been great, man. I, I do want to ask you a little bit about parenting for a second because sure. you know, you are, Maybe not living in Utah, that unusual. Uh, certainly not. I will say you're not very unusual in in the part of Utah that you live. It's a lot of uh, younger people with larger families, right, compared to the the national average. I just recently moved to North Carolina, so you would feel quite different living in North Carolina. Um, yeah, you're an outlier there with five kids for sure. Total outlier. Yeah, we were like walking down the trail in our neighborhood the other day, and people just. They see like three of us like, oh, that's nice. And then they see that there's a stroller with two children in it, you know, and they just kind of get confused and concerned and <laughs> wonder how they can help. What, 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 what tragedy took place here? Yeah. But I love being a dad and uh, I know you love being a dad and you have really cool kids. Like I've, I've distinctly thought, you know, when I've hung out at the Reed home, the Reed home, like, man, I want my kids to be as cool as the Reed kids and cool in the sense of just like that you're you get along with them, you know, you have similar likes and, uh, you know, similar music taste. And, and I just love that. And so I'm, I want to ask you like, what do you think is one of the challenges? What's an interesting challenge that you are aware of right now when it comes to raising kids in 2021, particularly because you're out of the little kids phase because your oldest is it Aurora. She's 14 mm -hmm. and your youngest is. I have a two-year-old. So I still have some little kids. Okay. Cause you but have a two-year-old. We're, we're, we're across the board. Yeah. So like the junior high age kind of approaching that. Um, I just want to know like what, what's, what concerns you? What's, what's a challenge? What's something that you, either are dealing with or see on the horizon that uh, sure. you're gearing up for? Um, well, I think there's a lot. I think that uh, I think that it's important to not approach it through like a fearful lens. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, look, at, look out for this stuff. Um, but just to be wise and to be aware um, of what's happening. Um, so speaking of, of a teenager specifically, so I've got her and then my boys are 10 and 11 years old. So they're just right behind her on on having more teenagers. Um, it, again, 
just like anything, like we, I don't have any business raising a teenager. Like, I feel like I'm still a teenager in so many ways, like just figuring things out, having fun, crashing on my bike and my skateboard and everything else that they're doing. And, and yet here I am like in charge of their life in a way. Um, so that's the first thing is like, Hey, you, you probably can't really be prepared. So just take a deep breath and do your best. And, uh, and then I think focusing on like the real, real base principles, um, are you talking right? Uh, that doesn't happen naturally with your teenagers. It's not like, yeah, we're having lots of conversations. It's just working. Maybe it does for some people. I think most of the time, naturally what starts to happen is if you don't take action and become intentional, you will drift apart, right? They're going to be interested in something that's weird to you. Um, they're going to have friends that you're not a huge fan of. Um, you know, you're busy working. I also have these other four kids I'm trying to take care of. I don't have time to talk to this teenager. So just like some of the other things we've talked about, it has to be part of your plan and it has to be intentional. Are you talking? Um, one of the best things that I have found with all of my kids from the time that, that we could talk from the time they were three or four is to, to intentionally and specifically find one-on-one -on -one time. Um, and that's where I find that my teenager talks. So sometimes it's, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go to this football game with my friends. Um, we're all going to go hang out. I'm like, awesome. Can I take you guys? And cool. Yeah. It's 30 minutes away. Cool. Come sit in the front seat with me and we go and we talk. Right. And, uh, you have to just take advantage of those times because they won't happen naturally again. Like it's, it's like expecting, uh, the dishes to just get done. They just don't mm -hmm. <laughs> like you have to go do it. Um, you know, disorder does not turn to order. Order always turns to disorder unless there's somebody intelligent in charge of things. So I'd say that's number one is just, uh, they're going to find things. They're going to be interested in things. It's going to be hard to talk. You have to go be intentional. And sometimes it's like weird. Sometimes it'll be awkward asking her questions. And she's like, dad, um, but most of the time you dig deep and uh, you find that inspiration and we have great conversations. We have great relationship. So I'd say that's number one. I'd say um, we, uh, I don't think that kids should have social media. I think that like, I strongly, strongly believe that. And you can make all the excuses you want that your kids are different and it's not distracting to them. But um, I see other girls that are the same age as my teenager that are depressed and that have body image issues and that have all this stuff. Now that stuff happened when I was a teenager too, but not the way that it does now. Um, even young women in their twenties and their mid twenties that are married that I know that have kids and things like that. Social media is putting an undue amount of pressure on them. Um, that I think is just incredibly unhealthy. Um, people that I know really well are like, man, I just, I have tons of anxiety and I'm overwhelmed and I'm, and I'm depressed. And, um, you know, I understand that there's medical chemical stuff that can happen, but when you're troubleshooting a problem, like you, you start with like the easiest stuff first, right? Like if you're trying to lose weight, you don't go to Mexico and meet with someone to do like a stomach bypass or whatever. That's not the first step. The first step is, all right, let's try and eat better and exercise, right? So it's the same thing when you're like processing stuff with your own emotions. Hey, maybe it's social. That's easy just to leave it, right? So I, I think that's another one. I think that you uh, as a parent will get a massive amount of pressure for your kids to have social. You have to sit down and be real with them and talk about it. Um, I can keep going. Another. So that's a, so that's a hard, that's a hard no. What's the. Yeah. Do you have clarity on like, is that till a certain age? Is that while they live in the read home, no social media? Is that a evolving thing? Yeah. I think it's when she's an adult. That's where I'm at right now. And maybe, maybe I'll change on that, but I just see it. I see um, some of the friends and people that she's with that do have social. And this is what they do all the time. And even when they're together in a group, they're right here. And they're worried about stuff and it brings them to tears and then they gather around and I'm like, this is crazy. So as of right now, when, when you're an adult, you can, you can go have social, but hopefully like, you know, and I'm not about limiting stuff. Like we have candy everywhere. We have soda pop everywhere. And my kids eat a little bit. 
and they'll drink a little bit of soda and they have really, really good balance because I think having access to stuff and not being super extreme and withholding things is good. Social to me is like having um, cocaine on the countertop. Like it's not candy, it's cocaine, right? Mm. That's how I feel about it um, for a teenager. The other, uh, yeah, anybody wants to talk about that and argue with me, I'm super open to it because we're all learning and there is no like instruction manual for how to manage teenagers and social media right now. Um, like she has Pinterest, which is kind of a little bit of social, right? But I've got limits on it. She's got 30 minutes a day to be on Pinterest. She has uh, Marco Polo, right? So she interacts with friends there. Um, fan of Marco but Polo. Yeah, but she's not death scrolling through Instagram or Facebook. Um, so what's the what's the rule with phones? TikTok. Like like when when can they get a phone? Um, I think it's different with girls and boys. That's my opinion. Um, boys look at pornography, and you're stupid if you don't believe that. They do. Uh, I've told my sons, and I've had a very very blunt conversation with my daughter that i've just told her i said hey the 14 15 16 year old boys you hang out with who have smartphones they look at porn and she's like really and i'm like yeah i promise you i'm like some of them might be addicted to it some of them might not all of them have seen it and it's probably a problem because they have access to type one or two words into google and click one thing and see the most grotesque detailed stuff that they should not see and uh and that's worse than cocaine right that is absolutely shooting meth into your arm like it is so harmful so i've had that blunt conversation so for my boys i've just told them straight up i said so we just got my son my 11 year old he's got an apple watch he can't browse the internet on it he can make phone calls he can send text messages and uh you know, he has a limited amount of time, but we can find him and communicate with him and mm. get him back and forth to practice. And I think it's good. He's not going to get an iPhone. It's not going to happen. Um, there might be a point, maybe when he's 15 or 16 or 17, that it makes sense. Um, right now, we're going to just keep it super limited. Uh, is there going to be social harm because he doesn't have an iPhone? Maybe. Is that social harm in any way comparable to the mental and emotional harm that comes from looking at pornography early in life? Absolutely not. Is he going to lose friends? I don't actually freaking care. Uh, he's going to be fine, right? Probably not. And so I think more parents need to take a stand on that. So that's where I'm at. We got my daughter her phone when she was 11. We got my son his Apple Watch when he was 11. That's kind of when they start going to friends' house and being places. And I just want to keep track of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a lot of parental controls that you can set up and things that you can do, um, you know, and you can see where they're spending their screen time and things like that. Again, you have to be intentional. If you're not intentional, if you're not planning it out, if you're not taking action, then I promise you it's going the other direction. Like mm -hmm. order is becoming disorder. That's just mm -hmm. the natural way things go. So that's I how love I that, man. No, I love that you've got your, you understand your principles, your standards, you and your wife are united on it. And um, yeah, I think a lot of people need to hear that message. I really appreciate that message. I've been, um, I just yeah, pulled thanks. this off my, my shelf as you're talking. I don't know if you've heard of this one, but uh, I've been reading it. Nicholas Kadaris It's called glow kids. You, you're, you're already there, but like anyone who is kind of maybe feeling like, man, I don't know if it's as big of a deal as Dan is talking about or whatever. This book will make you very, very uncomfortable. Um, but it talks about how, you know, those that were behind the original iPad, um, like whoever was on that team and some of these uh, creators of certain social media apps, it lists some uh, specific names. Like they would not allow their kids, the, the iPad one in particular, they would not allow their kids to have iPads. Like they understood, you know, just a little bit further than the average person, um, just the level of like hooks, you know, these hooks, these addictions that are getting set in, what it does to change the brain. So it's wild. It's just wild. It's wild. It's a, it's a really, really, really tough one. And so I know I probably have some firm and extreme like beliefs and opinions on that. And I'm standing by them right now. Um, I also believe that your kids need to be exposed to stuff. That does not mean that you hand them a line of cocaine, right? Um, mm -hmm. There's a balance there. They will have smartphones. They're going to be adults. They're going to interact with social media. It's going to be all around them. 
So, so there has to be a balance there. They need to learn how to have a healthy relationship with technology, with screen time, with social, with all that stuff. Um, I do not think a teenage brain is ready to do that because how many adults do you know, Alex, that have a problem with screen time, with social? A lot. I would say probably 70% of the adults in my neighborhood have a problem, right? With too much time on social, social making them feel depressed, social giving them anxiety, you know, posting so much that everything their kids is doing is bothering them because they're busy trying to make a post, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to keep their house perfect so that if they need to do a quick story for Instagram, everything looks good. That's not healthy. And so if, if 20, 30, 40 year olds that are, that are in my neighborhood have problems with that, what makes me think that my 12 year old son can handle access to everything in the world with a device in his hand? It's just dumb, right? They just can't. So yeah. anyway, we're learning about it. It's a, it's a challenge. I'll say this moving away from that topic really quick. The, the other thing um, on parenting that I'll kind of wrap up that topic with is um, we read a book early on when we had little kids that talked, uh, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it right now. It'll come to me in a minute. Great book. Um, it was on the tip of my tongue. I'll think of it. Maybe I'll send you a message. Anyway, it talked a lot about uh, um, standing firm, but then choosing how to pick your battles. Um, and with little kids, I got pretty good at that, right? Like, hey, if my kid spills water on the floor, am I going to rip into him about that? Do I want to fight this battle? Because you you have to pick and choose. You only get so many. Like Naval says, right? Relationships are built with compound interest. So are you going to make a deposit here? Or are you going to withdraw, right? How are you going to actually compound the love that you have with your kids and your family? You have to choose your battles. So they spill water on the ground, little kid. Am I going to blow up? No, it's an accident. If my wife spilled water on the ground, would I lose it on her? No, she's an adult. It's a mistake, right? So you pick, hey, that's not a battle I'm going to fight. Or... Hey, I want you to wear these shoes today. They match your outfit. No, I don't want to wear those shoes. I want to wear these. You want to wear flip-flops and it's snowing outside? Okay, right? Let's do it. You're going to learn really quick that your feet are going to be cold. I'm not going to fight this battle. Let's go. Um, I got pretty good at that with little kids. I've had five little kids now. Now that I'm into these like teenager and 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 uh, tweenager, preteen stuff, I'm like coming home. There's 25 kids in my backyard skateboarding, playing basketball, playing pickleball, running around, like riding dirt bikes and like just total chaos. And I'm just like, Oh, and my wife looks at me and she's like, Hey, you got to chill out. Like pick your battle. What battle do you want right now? Are you happy? These kids are here. I'm like, I'm super happy. These kids are here. Okay. You're going to like, and, and all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, it's just the same as having little kids. Like if my 14 year old daughter wants to dye her hair purple, do I want to fight that battle or do I want to save those conversations for something that's actually important who cares if her hair is purple right if she wants to you know whatever things you can really categorize things and be like is this trivial in the long run or is this really important if it's really important in the long run and i need to teach her a good principle i'm going to fight this battle and we're going to have a conversation and i'm going to do it with love and i'm going to have my arm around her and it's going to be great if it's trivial and it's short term and it really isn't going to matter a day from now or a week from now or a year from now. I'm not fighting that battle. And so I, I'd say that's my last little bit of like something I'm learning. And again, I'm, I'm totally in the learning stage. I'm not an expert here, but that's something that's given me some more peace just to look at stuff and say, hey, this is stressing me out. I don't agree with this, but that's not a battle I'm going to fight. I'm going to save that for something that actually matters. You know, That's awesome. Wise counsel, man. It's wise counsel. Thanks, dude. Just learning. We're all learning. We're all on this uh, on this train together. So that's right. Yeah. Well, we can. Yeah. The power of synergy is so real with things like this, like with parenting. You know, just me picking up on insights where you're five years or so ahead of me in age wise with kids. You know, um, it's it's crazy how that accelerates uh, my own learning. So I think there should be more of that. I don't know that there's a I whole agree. lot of uh, discussion that goes on like this around you know, parenting, honestly, a lot of the parenting, like material that's out there is like old school. I don't know. I don't see a lot of it. I agree. Just talking to people is, is so important. 
my wife and I were just talking the other day about somebody who is struggling with her young kids and like isn't loving motherhood. Right. Mm -hmm. And my wife and my wife's like, I was telling her, this is what she's going through. This is what she's going through. My wife's like, she should just talk to me or talk to somebody because we're all going through that. And it's hard for everybody. And there is some peace in knowing that you're dealing with a common struggle. Right. And you can learn things from other people. So I totally agree with you. There is a, there's power and synergy and then opening up and talking with other moms and talking with other dads. Dads probably just don't do it enough at all. You know? Yeah. But it's big. Same. I mean, we do it with business. We go do these, we pay money to go to business masterminds and to hop onto online groups and things like that to learn stuff for our companies. But um, we probably need to put a little more attention into our families and our marriages, and things like that in, in the same token. I agree. I agree. Well, we're doing some of that right now by, uh, you know, recording a conversation that will hopefully help some people. Yeah. Um, well, Hey man, as we, as we wrap up this conversation, you've been generous with your time. Um, I've learned a lot from you just in this one conversation and there's what you learn. And there's also just like the energy that you catch, right? I, you get to kind of draft and experience, you know, some of the byproduct of someone's <laughs> energy, um, which is really appreciated. So, um, the demographic or the target audience that I aim to serve with things like this, you know, I've kind of identified it as being like entrepreneurial millennial men with families or that want families, you know, even, even the guys that are like not yet married and really want to be and trying to just really aggregate material and conversations like this, uh, you know, content that serves them and helps them become their best self. So if there is someone that's in that demographic that is maybe feeling discouraged about the state of the world or the country, I'm asking this because I know you are a very optimistic person. If someone's feeling discouraged about getting into business like you did, like leaving one thing and going into more of an unknown venture with you know higher risk, um, or is discouraged about raising kids in this day and age, discouraged about getting married, worried about, you know, all of the discord and disarray. What's, uh, what's your message for him, man? What is Dan Reed's message to someone who's feeling like they're playing small out of a lot of hesitancy uh, due to these perceived uh, issues and, and dangers out there in the world? Well, I think it's a good question. Um, a couple things. So first of all, fear is the enemy to faith, right? And without faith, you're not progressing and you're not finding happiness. Um, that's, that's like the simplicity of it. Hey, if, if you're acting out of fear or not acting out of fear, then your head's in the wrong spot. So that's a whole, that's a bigger conversation is to figure out, Hey, why is your head there? Why do you feel fear? Um, I would say, and I've already preached this a little bit. Um, a lot of it can probably come from, from some outside influences and one of those being social. And so I have social media. I've figured out how to find a happy place with it and manage it. I think it's super healthy to delete it for a minute, right? For a week, for a month, for six months, for a year. And uh, watch how incredibly peaceful the world is around you when people aren't barking at you through social and trying to market to you. It's crazy. If you wake up and you don't turn your phone on and you walk outside, and you take a breath of the still air, things are fine. If you wake up and you look at your phone and you read the articles and you look at the stock market and you, you know, learn that the government's about to run out of money and that COVID's killing everybody and that Afghanistan is in disarray and all this. Yeah. Is there a reality to that stuff? Absolutely. How much of it is within your control? Very, very little. Um, there will not be world peace. Um, that's not, that's not part of the plan right now. I just don't think that's a thing. You can have inner peace though. And so you have to start there. You have to figure out how to find inner peace and eliminate fear. Um, and once that's gone, then you got to put some faith into yourself and into the people around you and begin to grow and progress. Um, maybe that's too ambiguous, but I could talk about a hundred ways to, to go find that inner peace. I have, um, that mentor that I talked about earlier, Casey, he, uh, 
taught me a routine that I do once a week um, that helps me be really intentional and find that peace and uh, and eliminate that stuff. And then I limit the amount of media that I get as well. I think it's just really, really important. Um, the world's really, really, really bad if you live in the world right here on your screen yeah, yeah, yeah. and read what's going on. So find inner peace and then go have faith in yourself. Um, the world is absolutely magnificent. There are, uh, I think people are inherently good. There's some evil people out there, but most people, almost everybody is inherently good and wants to do good. Um, so you find them and you associate with them and then, and then you go start taking steps forward. Uh, another little exercise that I would say is if you're acting or not acting out of fear, um, by that, I mean, like your decisions are dominated by the worries you have. Just go through this little exercise where you think back on the greatest fears that you've ever had and, and really like dig into those. Like, Hey, I'm, I was afraid that, you know, whatever, uh, big things. I was going to get hit by a car on the freeway or that my wife was going to cheat on me or that, you know, whatever these big fears are. And then uh, start listing how many of your past big fears have ever actually manifest themselves. And I bet the number will be really, really close to zero. Um, because that's what we do, right? Sometimes we create drama, we create fear, we create illusionary experiences. It's kind of a natural man thing that we do. And, uh, and they're not real. And they'd never, ever almost never, ever come to fruition and actually manifest in our lives. So I like doing that exercise because sometimes I'll sit and be like, man, I'm actually super worried about this. And, you know, this is really ripping me up and I can't sleep. And then I'll take a deep breath and say, all right, when was the last time I felt like this? Oh, I was worried about my business not working. Well, did that happen? No, we got through it. It thrived. It was awesome. All right. So why would you worry now if that worry you had last time didn't actually come true? I, I don't know. For me, that's a good exercise. Just try, you know, eliminate fear, find peace and, and, uh, and move forward. So. I love that, man. I love it a lot. Um, sure. Appreciate you. Grateful for Thank the you. mentor you continue to be to me. And I look forward to seeing what big games you continue to play, especially in business. It'll be fun to get, you know, oh, we're doing some year, fun stuff right now. Two year down the road update. Yeah, you hit you hit a you hit a home run, and now you get to ask yourself some some new questions. Yeah, it's um, fun. So fun. That is fun. Okay, well, I love I love uh, chatting with you, Alex. Thanks for having me on, dude. Um, yeah, always great to catch up and see your face, and uh, love watching your family grow. You're a great dude. So thanks again. Hey, appreciate it, man. Okay, well, much love, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. See ya. Okay, see you, bro.